we, uh, before I, okay, let's dismiss kindergarten through uh, third grade for junior church. And then, oh, half the Buckners are leaving. Some of you do not know Ben and Nikki Buckner because you haven't been here for four years. They haven't been here for four years. So Ben and Nikki, if you don't know, they're serving the Lord in Papua New Guinea with New Tribes Mission with the Nakanai Tribe. And they are back and they're going to be hanging around here for about the next year. So would you stand up for the people that don't know you, the few that are there? Yeah, they have teenagers. Teenagers do not stand up unless forced to do that, just in case you don't know. Uh, But anyway, and we also have uh, other people that have just come back. uh, I think three young people that have just come back from mission mission trips. Sarah, Jenna, and uh, who's the other one? Now I forgot who it is. Who's the other one? Okay, they won't tell me either. There's somebody else that just came back or whatever. But anyhow, Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, that's who it was. Chelsea, yes. Sorry, how could I forget? I don't know. But anyway, we have a lot of things going on. Praise the Lord. People are indeed using their talents, gifts, and abilities and their availability to serve the Lord. And we appreciate that. This morning, uh, I've been challenged to uh, preach a sermon on the topic of the troubles that we have. I invite you, and I hope you brought your Bible, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Very interesting chapter in that it starts with our heart trouble and ends with that also. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but uh, when you look around, uh, Andre was mentioning just a few things that he deals with with the young people in Harrisburg. But it's not just the young people in Harrisburg. If you look around, you find out that, uh, if by the way, I don't know, I'm going to preach a sermon in the future about voting and our our civic duties, but I'm not doing that today. But uh, sometimes I just basically, when I think about politics nowadays, I want to hold my nose even when I'm thinking about it. It's just that bad. I see people getting shot. I hear all kinds of um, people protesting and all those kinds of things. Uh, People, we have been dealing with the last couple of years with people with illnesses and cancer and just plain uncertainty with economics and jobs and you name it, it seems like it's worse than it's ever been. I don't think it's going to get better on its own, but I am not in despair because guess what? My heart is not controlled by what comes from the outside. That's what this passage actually says. Don't let your heart be controlled by those things from the outside. Well, there is something different. So I've entitled the sermon, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. I want you to see where I'm coming from, so I'll I'll give you the beginning of the sermon and then the end of the sermon. Verse 1, look at it if you will, please follow along. And there are uh, Bibles under your pew chair if you wish. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So it starts out by saying, don't let your heart be troubled. But it ends this way. And it's not the very end, but at the end, it says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The point of this whole chapter is that because of what Jesus Christ has done, 
We do not need to live in an agitated state. We do not have to live in fear, and we can live with God's peace. Notice, he did not say the world gives you peace. I'm going to give you a hint ahead of time. The world's definition of peace is that there is no conflict. There's no battle going on. Nobody is shooting. Nobody is arguing. Nobody is feuding and fighting. That is not what this passage says. This passage says, I don't give you the world's kind of peace. I give you my kind of peace. His kind of peace is this kind of peace. That my heart is not agitated. My mind is still when the hurricane or the tornado is going around me. I, I'm, hurricane, I'm sorry. Hurricane is going around me. I understand. I do ne- never want to be in a hurricane. But I understand that in the middle of it, there's a almost deafening silence. A peace. Nothing's happening there. But around it, the, the wind is 100 mile an hour and things are flying everywhere. That's the kind of peace that God gives us. You will never, ever, ever get that from this world. You cannot drum it up. You cannot think it up. You cannot wish it up. You cannot do any of those things. But it is a peace that only can come when God gives it to you. But there is a basis of that peace, and that's what the rest of the chapter is about. You may or may not know, but chapter 13, Jesus was with his disciples. They were celebrating the Passover. He had just said, I am going to wash your feet. Peter had argued with him. And then during that time, he said, oh, by the way, during the meal yet, one of you is going to betray me. Then he said, oh, I am leaving. I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't follow. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to die. And remember, these are people that for the last three years had given up everything, their livelihood, their families and everything, to follow him and minister with him. And all of a sudden he's saying, oh, I'm leaving you. Goodbye. And oh, I'm going to die. And then he looked at Peter and said, oh, by the way, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That's where the verse comes in. Let not your heart be troubled. (laughs) I mean, it's almost ironic that this comes up. Notice, he didn't say, I'm going to take away all the hardship. Nobody's ever going to get sick. Nobody's going to get shot. No wars are going to go on, and people aren't going to lie and gossip and do all kinds of bad things that really make a mess in life. He didn't say that at all. He said, no, these things are going to happen, and I will give you my peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. The word troubled has to do with something that is stirred up. If you will, boiling water. The water is not stable. If you ask me what it looks like personally, it would be I go to bed and my mind won't shut off because something happened. My mind is on something and it won't shut down. And so I can't sleep. I don't know about you. There's two things that I really like. I like to eat and I like to sleep. You know, I like work too. But, you know, you can work even if your mind is messed up. But you, you really can't sleep. At least I can't. And he's saying, I don't want you to be in that kind of turmoil. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let the things from the outside stir you up. Turn up your mind. And the heart, by the way, just in case you don't know, means you are affected in every possible way. Your mind, your emotions, your will, your body, everything. It includes every part of you. It says, don't let them be troubled. And how, do, how you do that? He says, believe in God. Believe also in me. There's an interesting thing. Most people in the world today believe in God. Small g. Maybe a big g, but they believe in God of some sort. They do. Not all people, but most people. He said, it isn't okay just to believe that God exists. In the early service, uh, I looked back and somebody was smiling at me. And we had just had that conversation because... He was asking me some questions about an organization that says, well, there's just one God and and we know him by a whole lot of other different names. This verse cuts right through it. No way you can look at it any differently. He said, it's not okay just to believe God exists. In fact is, in James it says, even the demons believe that God is one and they tremble as a result of that. But that's not enough. You need to believe very specifically in Jesus Christ. Because if you're going to have God's kind of peace, it's going to come because of a relationship with God, the real God, through Jesus Christ, who is indeed God in the flesh, and fully, 100%, represents God the Father in a bodily form. And He is the one that died on the cross for our sins. He is the one that came to this earth to live among us And not only to be a great example, a perfect example, but also to die for us. So there's, he is just saying, you know what? I can give you peace, but it's not some arbitrary thing that's just kind of poof, it's some kind of magic. No, it's going to be based on believing, completely trusting, placing your confidence in, totally surrendering to me, Jesus Christ. The songs that we sang this morning, a lot of them parallel what I'm saying in my sermon this morning. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. A dwelling place here, if you have King James Version and, and all the southern gospel songs talk about a habit mansion over the hilltop and all that, I don't know what this dwelling place looks like. It doesn't say a mansion anywhere. It doesn't mean a mansion. But here's what it does mean. It's not a temporary dwelling place. It is where your home address is. It is where you reside. It's an abode. It's something that's stable and ongoing. He's saying, I have something for you that is stable, a place to remain and not just visit. This world, if you're a believer, this world is a temporary thing. We're pilgrims, we're strangers, we're aliens in this world. Our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. That's what he's talking about. He doesn't use all those things, but that's what he's talking. He says, and if it weren't so, I would have told you. In other words, if there wasn't something future for you that believe in me... I would have told you, here it is. Everything there is is right here and now. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die. Nothing else happens after that. He doesn't say that at all. He says, no, if that was true, I would have already told you. 
But I'm telling you something completely different because he says, if it were, uh, I, for I go to prepare a place for you. He says, I'm going to go on ahead of you. I'm going to do something that uh, is above and beyond. I'm not going to send you somewhere. He doesn't send us to heaven. That's what he says. He says, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to clear the path. And those of you that have memorized Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it ends with, he will make your path straight. It means he goes ahead and clears the path. He's the point man. He's the one that's the leader. He's the one that not only shows us the path, but travels the path ahead of us. That's what he's doing. That's what he wants us to know. Why? Their hearts were troubled. He says you don't need to be troubled because this world is not the end. Something better is ahead and I'm going to go on and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to prepare that place for you, that permanent abode. This is not permanent. All the troubles of this world are temporary. That may sound trite, especially the hardship you're going through right now. Okay? Some of you, your sons are going off and serving Uncle Sam. That's not an easy place to be. I understand that. Some of you have relatives who are going through some very tough times in their physical uh, body. That's not a fun place to be. But he says, this is not the end. There's something more coming. And I'm going ahead of you. And he says, and if I go ahead and I prepare that place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Notice, he is not sending us to some foreign country. By the way, it's heaven. He said, but he's not just, hey, go on, you know, go ahead. He said, no, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to prepare the place. And he is already doing that, by the way. And then I'm going to come back and you're going to be received by me. This is not the revelation of Jesus Christ where he comes and rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years. This is what we call the rapture, the catching away. Because he is going to heaven to prepare the place. He's going to come back. He's going to receive us, those that are believers, to himself that we may be where he is. His home, his origination, his heaven. We're going to go to heaven. He is indeed going to come back seven years later, rule and reign for a thousand years for a totally different purpose than this. But in the meantime, he is going to come back. So however bad it gets, it does get better. And he has gone ahead to prepare it, to make sure it's right. And he is the one that is ultimately going to be, and we're going to see this right now, that he is the one that provides the way there. Continue with me, if you will, please, starting in verse 4. You're going to find in the next three verses, the word way is used three times. It says, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, you know, we always make fun of Thomas, but Thomas wants to know exactly what's going on. So cut him some slack. He wants to know exactly what's going on. He says, Lord... We do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? He goes, I don't understand this. You need to explain it to us. By the way, Thomas is more like us than we'd like to admit. 
He says, Lord, explain it to me. And Jesus said to him, and here is possibly one of the most famous, and I've used it in almost every funeral I ever do. If I witness to someone, I use this verse. And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice what it says. They're linked together with an and, which means you cannot separate them. And each one of them has a definite article. Now, I told my Greek class I wouldn't do this, but a definite article says, this is what it is. It doesn't say, I am a way, or a truth, or a life. It says, no, he is the one and only way. He is the one and only truth. He is the one and only life. And he says, and it's not something separate from Jesus. He says, no, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You can't get away from it. That's how solidly this is put together. The way has to do with a pathway. We've already talked about a pathway. Most of you know that know me know I do garden tractor pulling. I am going to a little town in the middle. By the way, don't anybody shoot me if you're from there or from that. But up in the middle of Pennsylvania someplace is a town. I don't think the town's bigger than this, this uh, church lot here. Hobby, Pennsylvania. Anybody know Hobby, Pennsylvania? So, oh, good, good. Nobody's going to shoot me then. I mean, it is backwoods. But they have a fire company, and they have a garden tractor pull. Sorry, but the carnival, the fireman's carnival is known for three things. Garden tractor pull, horseshoe pitching contest, and the beer tent. That's what it's known for. I'm, not, I'm just telling you what it's known for. The beer tent, by the way, has a fence around it, so if you're drinking beer, you're not allowed to go out of the fence. It, it, it's, that's what, I'm just telling you that's the way it is. You know what? This place is up in the middle of nowhere. I Googled it. Now, in the past, I've gone there, and I've gone with somebody else, and they knew how to get there. And I could follow them, and um, i get there really easily. But the first time we went there, we got on a path, and I, I, I'm, I, I, I just about would put my reputation on that they took a deer path and made a road out of it. It was that bad. The, the guy had a, a big trailer. We could barely get the trailer around the turns. That's how bad the road was. So, so when I Googled it last night, I eliminated that and did a different path. Now, Google is not God. I'll guarantee you. We've gone around circles with that already. But the point is, someone went ahead and planned. And said, if you go this way, you can eliminate that and you can get there in a decent amount of time without wrecking your equipment. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't just say, oh, by the way, I'll provide a way for you to go. And I'll provide, you know, some truth that you can go by. And yeah, I'll give you some life. He said, no, 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 no. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to give you the life. I am going to go before you, and I myself am the way. I'm the road. I'm the pathway to heaven. When we talk about personal salvation, you cannot get much more personal than this. 
I am the way. I lead to that abode, that permanent dwelling place. It's not just simply following me, but I am the way itself. I'm the road. I'm the guide. And I'm the one that's taking you there. I am the way. Then he goes on to say, I'm the truth. There is, this is a totally verified situation. There is no doubt about this. Nothing is concealed. Nothing is mysterious. It's complete. I've told you everything you need to know. And what do we need to know? Here's what we need to know. We need to know that we're sinners. We need to know that Jesus Christ alone is the one that paid for our sin. He did that on the cross. When it was done, he said, it is finished. And he himself dismissed his own spirit. Nobody else can do that. He did that. He had no sin, but he died for our sin. And then three days later, he rose again. Proving that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. That sin had totally been paid for. God's righteousness, his wrath had been satisfied. Only one last thing to do. And that is believe that. Remember, believe in God, believe also in me. Who I am and what I have done for you. He says, I will give you that life. What kind of life? It is God's kind of life. The absence of life is separation in this case. It's hell. That's like a fire. That's separation from God. But he says, I will add to you. If you believe in me, I will add to you God's kind of life. That's eternal life. Now, God is eternal both directions. We have a beginning. We were created. But I will give you my life. You see, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one at all can ever come to the Father but by or through me. There is no plan B in the Bible. That's what makes Christians a persecuted people. Because we say, hey, there's only one way. And it's Jesus Christ. One person. And it's all in that person. It's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can embellish it with. It is all on Christ himself. I'm going to challenge you in a few minutes. If you're sitting there going, I'm not sure if that's real for me or not. We're just going to, at the end of the sermon, we're just going to be quiet. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand. I'm not going to do any of those kinds of things. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, and you can start asking yourself this question now. Do I know... That Jesus Christ is my life. That He is my way. He is my truth. There is no other. That's very clear. And why is this important? Because you said, well, you're talking about let not your heart be troubled. Because if these things are true, you have confidence. You don't have to have a troubled life. I'm the inside. Oh, the outside's still going to have all those troubles. All the things from the outside are still there. But on the inside, I can know that I'm right with God. And I know that He's going ahead and He's going to prepare a place for me. Now, we could look at a whole lot of other things in this chapter, but I'd just like to point out a few. First of all, He says, You know what? If you know me, 
you know the Father. That's the second part. Jesus Christ is the one who takes all of our needs to the Father. And then in verse 16, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, an encourager. One, literally what it means, one who comes alongside to help you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Then he says, and this kind of boggles people's minds, but if you continue on, you will find in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode in him. Again, that's not a temporary thing. That's a permanent thing. He says, the Trinity will dwell in you. If you've trusted Christ, you have God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in you. I don't have to have a troubled mind. I don't have to allow the things of the world to kick me around. Because I have the presence, the indwelling, permanent presence of the Trinity. And now we come back to that verse where we started from, verse 27. Peace I live with, leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You know what? You don't have to live disheartened, disheartened in this world. You don't have to live defeated in this world. Because there is a future you cannot even comprehend that he is presently making available for us. We have his very presence in us, his help in us. So, you're not going to ever hear me stand up here and say, oh, isn't it wonderful we're Christians and there's no bad thing ever going to happen to us. Absolutely not the case. But in the midst of that, he says, when the storm is all around you, you can still have a peace of mind and a peace of heart and a peace of emotion in your emotion. You can have that. And ultimately, this is not the end. And no matter how bad it gets here, we know this is the worst it could ever be. Because those who have trusted him who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, He is coming back and He's going to receive us to Himself. That where He is, there we may be also. That's the promise. So that's why I can say, I don't care. I have, I have opinions. Oh, I have opinions on everything. And I have opinions of politics and you know economics and you name it, i got opinions about everything. You don't even want to know them. But in the midst of, and despite all of those things, here's what I do know. And this is the opinion, and it's the truth, the only one that counts, is I know that by trusting Christ and Christ alone, I can have a peace of mind. I don't have to live a troubled life. This is the worst it will ever be. It's only going to get better. Just remain in your seat. I encourage you to bow your heads just between you and God, ask yourself the question, do I know for sure that Jesus Christ is my way, my truth, and my life? Have I ever really trusted Him? Have I recognized my separation 
and I need God's life instead of just the life I have? Have I ever realized that my sin needed to be paid for and recognized 100% that only Christ could have paid for it and did pay for it? In fact, as he proved it by rising from the dead, proving that sin had totally been conquered and paid for and God's holiness and wrath and righteousness had all been satisfied. And then I need to ask myself the last question is, have I really trusted Christ? Or am I still trusting other things? I just ask that in the quietness of this moment, if you're not sure, make sure. Only Satan wants you to not know for sure. But simply, not my prayer, but just something, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ alone has paid for my sin, given me that peace that passed all human understanding. And Lord, I know that that's a possibility. And Lord, I want to trust you. I want you to be my Savior, you to be my way, my truth, and my life. Lord, I ask that you would work in people's lives, that they would leave this place assured that Christ is the one that is leading in their life, the one that's going ahead, the one that's preparing a place for them, and the one that can give them peace in the midst of horrible things going on around us. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless Go with God and be a blessing to someone else. And if you have questions about what I talked about today, by all means, come up and talk to me. Give me a call. Email me. I would be overjoyed to talk with you.